I would say that it started happening when the pandemic did, but that would be a lie. It's always been happening. It just took COVID-19 to pour gas on a fire. Marnie Manalo is Filipino-Canadian, but that distinction was lost on the stranger who attacked her at a Toronto subway station in March and told her to go back to China. I put my hand up, so he hit my hand, but he hit my, like, my cheek. In March, a 92-year-old Asian man with dementia was assaulted at a Vancouver convenience store. In that same month, Montreal's Trois Quan Am Buddhist temple was vandalized. For the past year, Asian Canadians and Asians across North America and the world have been targeted with increasing intensity by racist aggressions and harassment. At first, last March, they were anecdotal reports. They rarely made it to the police. They were often shrugged off when they did. But then, over months, enough victims came forward that we could track the numbers and we can say for certain that this is a real and substantial uptick in attacks. And then, Tuesday night in Georgia, a final, undeniable example of how desperately dangerous things have become for people of Asian descent in North America. A massacre in Georgia tonight. Eight people are dead, police say mostly Asian women. They were killed at three separate massage parlors across metro Atlanta and one nearby county. And police believe one man did it. Just before nine tonight, they arrested 21-year-old Robert Aaron Long. Already, the day after as I record this, police are attempting to explain that the alleged killer's motive was not necessarily race. You might recognize this pattern from dozens of racially motivated hate crimes and murders. But what the police say about a motive doesn't matter to Asian Canadians and Americans who were already living in fear of assault and harassment and who now see just how deadly things can get. How do we stop this? What is needed from the police, from governments, from me and you and our communities? Because even as vaccines arrive, even as the pandemic shows signs of easing for hundreds of thousands of Canadians, things are getting more dangerous, not less. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Amy Chung is a freelance writer based in Montreal. She looked into the dramatic uptick in hate crimes against Asians for the now-defunct HuffPost Canada. Hello, Amy. Hello, Jordan. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks, and and I hope you are too. And and we'd booked you to discuss anti-Asian racism uh, over the past year before anything happened Tuesday night. And I know you're not covering the shooting that took place in Atlanta. I'm not going to ask you to report on it, but can you give me a sense of the reaction to it and the coverage of it that you've seen? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think today has been a very hard and difficult day for the Asian community and um, senseless killings, especially in Atlanta, is a result of an entire year of the Asian community being scapegoated and blamed for the coronavirus. Um, and the reaction is absolute shock, pain. You know, this is the tipping point for, I think, a lot of um, Asian Americans, Asian Canadians as well, just enduring a whole year of, you know, vitriol and hate and anti-Asian rhetoric. 
I guess what I want to ask you about uh, this extremely public tragedy is, you know, in in all the work that you've done covering the rise in anti-Asian racism over the past year, did you feel like something this awful was inevitable? Um, has it all been kind of trending this way, for want of a better way to put it? I think it was pointing to it. You know, everything started off with words. You know, you know, I've been hearing a lot of people saying that they've had people call them, you know, the, you know, the China virus, telling them to go back to China. Um, and I think this, when it morphs into violence and assault, that is the next step of it. And now what we saw in Atlanta, it's led to a senseless death, right? And I think this has been the pinnacle of, you know, a whole year of the abuse and the the blame. And I, I, I really see this as the um, materialization of that. How hard has the process been to get this taken seriously? You know, you mentioned that it started with words and then you wrote in a piece uh, about a woman in Montreal who was trying to raise the flag about this really early on. And, and what happened to her? What was her experience? So Kyung Seong uh, Min, she was a, actually a video game writer. And, uh, you know, her story was just basically her experiencing anti-Asian hate, you know, harassed, being followed, being chased. Um, and, and also she's heard stories of people around her that experienced this too. And she shared her experience with a journalist, um, a local journalist in Montreal, and, you know, saying, hey, you know, I think that this is a problem. Um, I think the Asian community is being targeted due to the, you know, coronavirus. And will you write a story about it? And at the time, the journalist told her, let me get back to you. And she called, you know, the Montreal police and asking, you know, what's the temperature about, you know, anti-Asian hate crimes? Uh, has there been a rise? Have you noticed a rise in it? And they said, no. And she went back to her and saying, you know, I don't think I can report on this. There's no statistical data. Um, obviously, this left her very defeated. Uh, you know, she shared her vulnerability, her fears. She was really brave to do that. And then to be shot down. Um, and she's and she was really, really incensed about it. And she's like, okay, what if I get that data for you? What if I find a way to prove it to you? This is really happening. And the journal's like, okay, well, give it a go, you know? So, and with that, she started going online and reaching out to her um, her network on Facebook, being like, hey, is anyone else experiencing something like this? Can you share it with me? And then she started collating all these incidents um, just on a, a simple Google Doc. And between two months, between March to May, they collected about 30 incident reports and they presented to the media. And that's when it was reported on. But even then, you know, there were journalists asking, like, are you really sure this is happening? Are you sure it's not because, you know, people are scared of masks? Um, you know, it's just a one-off thing. So she's just being gaslit again about her experience and the, the experiences of other people around her. And she pointed to this one 
incident that that was uh, really well known in Montreal of a um, South Korean academic, uh, ironically a criminologist who was stabbed in front of a Korean supermarket. He believed it was a hate crime, but obviously the guy didn't say anything, went up to him, stabbed him, you know, gone. So I think that really rattled the Korean community here. Um, you know, even the embassy sent out an advisory to um, its citizens and also, you know, made every, everyone really scared. And in some of the testimonies that you see in that Google Doc that she's that she presented are people who've been even living here for 20 years. You know, they were saying that the last two months, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, they were just being harassed, being called the China virus. You know, I think there was one case of a woman who, um, you know, called the cops because, you know, an incident escalated with her neighbors who were just spewing racist hate at her. And when the cops showed up, they spoke to both parties and it ended with the cops saying, hey, this is Canada. It's, you know, freedom of speech. Um, and that was that. And I think by and having the, the reaction of the cops saying, you know, it's freedom of speech, I think it just further demoralized that victim, you know, re-victimized the victim. So that was what was, was very interesting about Kyung Seo and her and her research because she was someone who wanted to raise the flag, took it upon herself to do it. And then when she did it, she was still doubted. You know what I mean? So, Well, how important is it to have the police on the victim's side when diagnosing this stuff? Because, you know, you touched on the uh, the Korean man who was stabbed and, and they can't declare it a hate crime. Um, we just heard one of the lead investigators in the Atlanta shooting say – you know, we don't know that this was racially motivated. He was frustrated by women or he was having a bad day or whatever. And when you're talking to people in the Asian community, does it matter to them what motive the police uh, ascribe to, to the person committing the violence or do they know where it's coming from? I think it's absolutely important for the police to to bring some sort of support for the victim who is, you know, bringing their experiences to them. And not dismiss them, you know. And the thing is, hate crimes are difficult to prove. And and I think there's difference how the categorization of words. What is an incident? What is a hate crime? You know. And a lot of times, these incidents or crimes are are recategorized as, let's say, assault. You know, it's not labeled as a hate crime. I think there's also been a history of distrust between police and people of race. Again, I was speaking with, you know, some advocates here and they said, you know, in Montreal, for instance, um, I think the hate crime unit is about a handful of people that are not BIPOC. And I think they need to be able to speak the language. I think there's a the language barrier. There's a cultural barrier, you know, having cops who actually speak, let's say Mandarin, Cantonese, um, Korean, Vietnamese. It's very important to build that rapport, to build that trust within the community. You've brought up China virus um, a couple of times as kind of one of the places where all of this started. Did it did it start from there because um, of the president of the United States using that term, or is it just that term generally that 
proliferated that led to some of the incidents? I think uh, with Trump calling the coronavirus the China virus, um, began normalizing hate speech. You know, it became a hall pass for racists to do and say whatever they wanted. So I think that was definitely the starting point. And, uh, you know, even one of the the people I interviewed said that the week that he announced um, that statement, he was accosted on the bus, a 69-year-old man being called the China virus, you know. And I think, of course, his, his words trickled through and gave the public that allowance to say these hurtful things. We spoke to uh, a Toronto Star journalist named Evie Kwong, who was raising a flag about this uh, way back at the beginning. And I just went back and looked at at when that was because I figured it was, you know, April, May. It was February 4th um, of 2020. And she was saying, you know, in the community, we're being blamed for this already and nobody's tracking it. As the year um, and more than a year now has gone on, have we finally managed to get a sense of the scope of the problem? You know, are police in Montreal and other cities now reporting numbers? So, yes. So right now, there are, you know, grassroots groups that have started to do, um, you know, incident tracking reports. For instance, there's a group out in Vancouver called Project 1907, and they were tracking, you know, the incident reports happening around BC after what they've endured on the street in Chinatown. Um, they want to give an avenue for people to, you know, express themselves, to report what happened, and to also give some guidelines of, you know, how to get help and how to be an ally. And I think these groups are filling the gap of, you know, actual. Um, a national database for reporting too, because we don't have a very consistent tracking for um, hate crimes. And the police are uh, tracking hate crimes, but not at the same level. And also for hate crime victims, only 10% of them actually report hate crimes. Well, I did want to ask you about you know, the Asian community and the groups and organizations there who are trying to get a handle on this and, you know, what are they doing and how much help have they had uh, from maybe not necessarily police, but just from people in power who can aid in the development of these kind of strategies? So I think for um, people in power, I think right now, foremost, uh, people haven't denouncing anti-Asian hate crimes. You know, I think that is a beginning. However, you have places like in Quebec where, you know, you know, the Premier uh, Francois Legault believes that systemic racism does not exist. And I think it's important to clarify that. I believe that, you know, politicians can also keep the momentum going, you know, keep the story in the spotlight and have targeted and consistent messaging and don't conflate it with other issues. And it's not the time for that. And I think they need to, you know, keep that going and also have a dialogue with NGOs and civil societies, you know, work with the people who are on the ground doing the work. And hopefully this can, you know, flourish into policy and aiding the community later on. 
But what needs to happen next? What kind of support does the community need? Um, you know, yes, from from governments and politicians who can do more than just denounce it. But like from me and my community, um, from our producers, you know, this is something we've talked about internally. Like, what can we do? What helps? You know, on a personal front, you can check in with your Asian friends, you know, um, your colleagues, your neighbors. You know, there's been a lot of exposure uh, to a lot of anti-Asian racism. And I think you need to, you know, just check in on your friends. And if you see something, do something, you know, um, and if it's safe, step up and and help, you know, be an ally to the person. Even if you can just film and if you see something, film it in case a person wants to actually pursue a report, you know, and listen, believe, you know, people's experiences and stop gaslighting them, you know, and raise awareness. You know, this is not just a random act of violence. I think it's, it's a trend that's going across North America right now, affecting the Asian community, and we can't ignore it. Amy, thank you so much for taking the time uh, for us today on a day that uh, I know is difficult. Amy Chung, a freelance writer based in Montreal. That was The Big Story. If you'd like more from us, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can, as always, talk to us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. You can, of course, email us, thebigstorypodcast, that's all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. And you can find us in your favorite podcast player, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, doesn't matter. Ask for us on your favorite voice assistant wherever you find us. Leave a rating, leave a review. It better be five stars. I read them all and I check. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.